You're listening to the Brand Builders Podcast with your hosts, Scott Dunstan and Brian Young. Welcome to another episode of the Brand Builders Podcast powered by the Dunstan Group. My name is Brian Young, and we are here with DC Lucchese and Jim Cousin uh, from Theory House. Now, we are getting close to the holiday season, and that means retail shopping. Now, every November and December, we hear that it's fading away and uh, really the rise of online sales, but not everybody's ready to throw in the towel. You know, instead of a brick and mortar store, some are leaning uh, to up their game by looking at new ways to attract people off the street and on their phones by tying the two together in a really creative way. Now, our next guest on the Brand Butters podcast does exactly that and really creates a balance uh, between the online and the storefront worlds where he likes to build the brands um, from each of those aspects. So as the president of Theory House, a Charlotte retail marketing agency, and we mean big names here, this guy's working with companies like Pepsi, Lowe's, Starbucks, to name a few. So from one brand builder to another, Jim, we're super excited to hear your story, super excited to see what you do. And as we head into the holiday shopping season in a few months, and our world has probably already happened, um, I would guess this is a massive time for you and your agency. So let's talk a little bit about Theory House. What is that? Uh, and what do you guys do? Well, thanks for having me here. Uh, appreciate the opportunity. And Theory House, uh, as you described, a retail marketing agency. We're in our fifth year here in Charlotte. And interesting, although we're headquartered in Charlotte, we have very few local clients. Uh, as you talked about, we're sort of experts at retail marketing. So we have clients um, literally all over the world, uh, some in California and New York, and uh, it's sort of an odd uh, opportunity when we have a client locally. But we work with national brands and retailers and really try to focus on increasing sales for them, uh, building more traction with their customers, and just giving them an opportunity to succeed at retail. So when you're, when you're mentioning retail and on the online worlds with some of these bigger companies, tell us, like, what is that, if a Pepsi contacts you and says, I need some help here, what does is, what is the process look like from working with a big, powerful brand like Pepsi? Yeah, well, the truth is because we are a, um, you know, kind of a smaller agency sitting here in Charlotte, we're 10 people. And when I tell people we work with Google and Pepsi and Starbucks, they kind of like are surprised by that. So our, our clients work or with dozens of agencies and most of them have a specialty that they can bring to the table so for us it's retail and a lot of times it's um, in-store communication that's kind of our the sharpest sword for us and um, you know they're usually smart people who know what they want they've got great insights they've got great research and they're just looking for an outside perspective from an expert agency to help them succeed with whatever, whatever particular challenge they have that that day. So tell us a little bit about, um, you know, with online sales, you know, some of the well-known brands, I mean, now you can't go a day without picking up your phone. I mean, a day, you probably can't go 10 minutes. I mean, these days, now they got this new screen thing from iPhone. That's going to tell my wife and everyone else how much I use my iPhone. Can't wait for that. Um, <laughs> but anyways, uh, tell us some of the ways that you're redoing a retail brand in kind of that new world of the internet. I don't even say the new world, the experienced and, and, kind of crazy world of the internet these days. Yeah, well, I mean, a fact that um, would be a surprise to a lot of people that that today, even though there's so much talk of online sales, nine out of every $10 at retail is still spent at brick and mortar. So we've just wow. crossed the threshold of double digit sales online. And um, a lot of those online sales are coming from established brick and mortar retailers. So, you know, Amazon is sort of the story that everyone talks about, but they're still contributing 
you know, a small percentage to the overall retail uh, spend out there. And it's growing quickly and dramatically. But again, nine out of every $10 is still spent by someone walking into a store. Wow. So what do you guys tell, uh, what do you tell the retailers when they're like, hey, are they, are they coming to you and saying, hey, I'm losing margin? Or they're saying, hey, how can we do what we do just better at the retail level? Or how does that work? Yeah, the, the clients that we work with tend to come to us to improve the brick and mortar experience. Mm -hmm. Because they recognize, like I said, it's still where most of the money is being spent. And because they've got this dramatic competition that's increasing online, they need to make their shopping experience more relevant than ever. And so that's what we help right. them with. It's um, just making people want to be in a store and making that shopping experience different than they could get online. So you look at a, at a brick and mortar store, let's just take like a Lowe's, for example, and you walk in and it's all, you know, you're paying by what shelf you're on, where the storefront can be. If you're working with a company that maybe is selling a product to a Lowe's or something like that, it, it, tell us, how are you developing this? Is it going to be like a new product that comes here? We need to position this here. This is how we're going to market it. This is what we think would be a good idea around that aspect. Like, are you doing everything from start to finish to create that program? Yeah. A great example for Theory House is Delta Fawcett is a retained client of ours. So anytime you walk into a Lowe's, a Home Depot, you know, we don't have Menards in this market, but another key home improvement retailer, right. if Delta Fawcett is talking to you, that's Theory House's work. So we're helping them bring innovation into the faucet and bath aisle. Uh, we're producing end caps for them to promote new products. But ultimately, their success is driven by bringing more shoppers into the faucet aisle. So Lowe's looks at them and says, hey, what are you doing to innovate and to bring more attention into the aisle? And that's the work we're helping them with. That's Tell me some of your favorite projects. I'm so curious. I'm like, what <laughs> know, works, like, what didn't? Because, I mean, I, no. I'm a shopper, and, and I right. go into Lowe's all the time. I'm a new homeowner. Oh, man, I've been going to Lowe's too much, to be honest. But there's certain things that will catch my eye, and I'll go, that, that's well done. Like, whoever was behind that marketing right. of that product, it, it, might, it might not be something that I personally buy, but it's something I'm going to remember. And maybe the next time I come in or when I have that need, that's going to pop into my mind. So tell me some of, like, the favorite projects or ones that have worked for you. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting because we focus exclusively on retail. When we go and travel, we go into stores to see what innovation is happening. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, my phone is full of pictures of end caps and <laughs> shelf display yep. because we just have a passion around it and interest in it. Um, but some of the favorite things that uh, we've been involved with, one, one that comes to mind is um, last year we got a call from Pepsi to design a commemorative can for the Super Bowl halftime show. Awesome. And it was Lady Gaga performing, and it was in Houston. Mm -hmm. So we developed this just beautiful can. As a matter of fact, the, the departing CEO of Pepsi had said it was the most beautiful can that the company had ever designed. And that fell on, on, on our agency. That's awesome. Well done. But, you know, it, it was a simple can design, and they liked it so much, they said, you know what, can we, like, maybe skin buses to drive around Houston with that design. And then they said, you know what? Uh, we've got hundreds, if not thousands, of um, recyclable bins around Houston. Let's put that design on those as well. And then kind of the, you know, the jewel in the crown, if you will, mm -hmm. we, we got to design the back page of the Super Bowl program. Oh, with that's that same awesome. Design. Yeah. So that's one where, um, I don't know, I think we were just so proud of the work we did and the fact that it was so well received by the client. 
That's awesome. Uh, I didn't. I didn't even expect that story. So I will. Uh, I'll give you a win on that. So, um, <laughs> Forget Delta faucets. We're fascinated. I'm with from Atlanta. Coca-Cola. Step up your game. We got Pepsi. Here. <laughs> well, it's interesting because the Super Bowl is in Atlanta this year, and it presents an interesting challenge for Pepsi. How do right. they? You know, how do they is that people? is that something that you're that you're focusing on right now? And you don't have to tell me obviously what they're doing because I'm sure that's you know top secret information. But is that something that they're trying to focus on on how they can kind of bring a market share into an area that's dominated by Coke? Yeah, yeah. They they usually have um, some exclusive arrangements with the NFL to be the soft drink of choice. But when you mm-hmm. go into Coca Cola's backyard, I think uh, all the all the rules are are off. I mean, what an interesting marketing battle that's going to be to to watch. Um, I mean, literally, the world of Coke is 250 yards from the dome or from the new stadium. Right. Wow. Um, anyway, so that's good stuff. Uh, yeah, that's, that's good awesome. Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, how do you out Coke? Coke yeah. in its own backyard. Right. I love right. that's like the TCU Ohio State thing before the game a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> Spectacular stuff. I love stunting like that. I'm fascinated. I'll be paying rapt attention yeah. to how you guys handle sure. this. Now, <laughs> so to that end, uh, there are I'm sure there are loads of success stories akin to the the Pepsi project. Uh, what is some of the stuff you see? Like you said, your phone is full of, I'm sure, wows and woes. Mm-hmm. What are the, some of the things you've seen? You don't have to name names unless you want to about stuff you've looked at or you've done yourselves and said, ah, boy, that was something we should never do again. Um, I don't know if any of our work comes to mind. That's, under a, good that thing. Category. <laughs> That's a good thing. Good answer. That's you know, a, I, good I will answer. say, I think that um, creative at retail fails when it's not tied to a specific shopper need. Mm-hmm. And you see lots of brands out there spending, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars mm-hmm. on marketing outreach. But sometimes it's like a solution in search of an audience that actually needs it. Right. So that's what I get most disappointed about. When I walk into retail, I see these really impressive displays and you just know it's not working because mm-hmm. the client or the, the shopper doesn't really have a need for that thing. And sometimes that's where you see the most spend because I think sometimes manufacturers recognize that, you know, the the need isn't quite at the surface. So they're like overspending in marketing to try to surface that need. But sometimes it's just not there. I think Mark Cuban said this one time. He's like, go out, find a problem, find something that is an issue and create a solution to that. That's your business plan. Don't try to, oh, that's a good idea. I'm going to try to make a version of that. Right. Right. Um, exactly. So that's pretty interesting. I, I'm I'm very interested in your background. I feel like I could literally pick your brain for days. But tell me, it, it seems like you're very into technology. But how did you start this business? And tell me a little bit about your past and how have you kind of been on the cutting edge of technology and really what positioned you to to start this business and and not only start it but make it a big success. Um. Well, my first job was working at a grocery store. And I was pushing carts in Freehold, New Jersey, in the snow. Both hill, um, so both I, I, I quickly right. graduated to cashier to get the hell out of the snow. Wow, <laughs> you know, and then my first job out of college was actually selling cookies for Keebler. So I was back in grocery stores hustling cookies. And um, when I first moved to Charlotte 25 plus years ago, I got into advertising. Mm-hmm. And what I recognized um, five years ago in starting Theory House as my own agency was um, any agency only has so much skill and talent. And uh, we worked with a consultant. He had this great illustration, I thought. 
you know, you can take any agency's talents and put them into like a measuring cup and you can pour that measuring cup into a casserole dish so that that expertise is spread widely, but very shallow. And what we do at Theory House is we take our expertise and, and pour it into a tall Pilsner glass. So our focus is very narrow. It's retail. Mm -hmm. But our team has just really deep ex uh, expertise because it's the only thing we do. And every job we do, we learn from and we get smarter. You know, there's traditional agencies out there who work with a doctor one day, a manufacturer the next day, uh, a dentist the third day. And their people aren't going to be able to mm -hmm. learn as fast as our people can and to provide the expertise. I've been at agencies before where... I was bullshitting in front of the client to try to win the business. I go into a client meeting today, and if it's a retail need, I have absolute confidence that we can solve their challenges. And that's what, you know, what gets me out of bed. I, I haven't felt like I've gone to work in you know, 10 or 15 years because I just like what I do. I enjoy it. We have a passion for it. And we hire people who have that same passion. That is spectacular. I, I love that. That, pills, that is excellent. I, I get that whole picture. I, I totally dig it. Yeah, any agency yeah. owner that I yeah. talk to, or, you know, this doesn't even apply just to our space of an agency, right. but if you're a brand, like stand for something and have a meaningful point of differentiation, mm -hmm. and chances are you're likely to have more success, I think. Let me, let me ask you about innovation. We talked at the beginning of this about how, you know, the consumer, consumers will still consume. It's the question is where will they consume, uh, I guess, going forward. And retail is changing. How are you guys, how is Theory House evolving, innovating to meet changing consumer habits? Well, I mean, one of the things that we do is really focus on hiring. So, mm -hmm. you know, again, I mentioned we're 10 people in Charlotte, but, you know, a third of our team are folks who actually come from retail. So they understand the challenges that our clients face. They, they can be empathetic to those particular client concerns. So the people are our like, strongest asset, right? So we get people who are really smart who understand retail, number one. Uh, when it comes to sort of innovating and understanding what's going on in this space, it helps to work with like, a, a client like Google because they are probably some of the smartest people in the world. You know, getting into Google as a hire is very difficult. Mm -hmm. So they challenge us to be a better agency every day. And all of their focus is around technology. So we've helped them introduce new phone formats overseas. Uh, if you walk into a Best Buy and you see a, a Wear OS uh, by Google display, that's our work. Um, so when you're working with really talented people who are challenging you, who are leaders in tech and innovation, you've got to keep pace with them. But you know, I think our success is primarily driven by the fact that we understand what we do well and we have great partners that we can bring in and out of client work where it makes sense. So we'll never, I should never say never, I guess, but, you know, we've debated how strong digital needs to play in our core offering. And what we've realized is that what we do is we control the shopper communication. And much like you might pick a printer to do printing sometimes, you can pick a digital partner to, like, deliver the digital messaging. So... Um, I think it's a long-winded answer to your question, but we, we look uh, at strategic partnerships where it makes sense because if we've got a digital partner who lives in digital every day, they're going to be smarter about it than we could be. 
and we'll bring them in and out of a project where it makes sense. So you mentioned that that $9 out of $10 is still spent at a brick and mortar and we compete against online every day. In our world, we sell relationship. We sell service quality, but we also sell somebody that's going to pick up the phone. We create that eye-to-eye contact and want to be there when something goes wrong. In your world of working with some of the biggest brands in the world, um, do you see them continuing to push that towards that personal connection and even continue to push the brick and mortar where maybe people are like, it's gotten to a point where technology is taking over people. Like, man, I need like a little bit of a break. You know, I mean, um, I watch a show called Big Brother and I don't know if you've ever watched the show or not, but they put them in a room and they're on day 87, right? They're in this house, 87 <laughs> days, no technology. Well, they had an artist come in and sing. And the first question was, how has it been like to not have social media? And every single one of them was like, it's unbelievable. You don't need it. Why would you need it? We've all had conversations. We've met two people, fell in love. They're like talking about how much they love each other. Probably never would have happened if they were out in the world. So for my long-winded question here, do you see this $9 out of $10 being a trend that continues? Or do you think that it's something that more technology, more online will take over? Or maybe the human spirit and the human body still wants to interact with another human? I, I think there's. Uh, it's tough to argue that online sales will continue to grow. I think you're going to see most of that growth come from established brick and mortar retailers who understand that my shoppers want to interact with me when it makes sense in their lives at their time. So if I want to go to Sharp, uh, Target and shop, I can walk in the store, um, I can order online and have it delivered to my home, I can order and they use a company they just acquired called Shipped to deliver the same day. So you know, it used to be that convenience perhaps was only available through Amazon and the selection that they had. But now I can go to Target for that same thing and I can get same day delivery. Um, but I, I, just a, a side note, you talk about technology and you know the impact it has. So I used to go into a Starbucks every day to grab my cup of coffee. And when our office moved, I switched Starbucks and was doing a drive-through. And now I use the app and I just go grab my cup and run. And what I have found is the convenience factor has me going back to Starbucks, but the brand engagement and the relationship that I have with Starbucks is so much less than it used to be when I walk into the store and that woman behind the counter knew my name and she'd ask about my kids. And even going through you're the drive-thru. Kay, I know you're talking about Kay. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. And then even the drive-thru, you know, there was this face-to-face -face <laughs> engagement and, you know, they would recognize you. But now that I'm using the app, it's like really convenient for me. But I walk in and like there's six cups sitting on the counter. I just grab one and run, but I don't feel as attached to Starbucks as I did when that woman behind the counter was talking to me. And I think that's a challenge that all marketers are going to face. You know, as more and more technology weaves its way into the shopping experience, how do you still maintain a personal connection? That, that's a fantastic answer. And, and to follow up on that from the personal connection. So directly into your business, when you're walk, if I walk into Lowe's and you're working directly with a brand, are you working harder to not only connect on getting me to purchase that, but also maybe even the environmental, um, you know, concerns or what this product will do for the community if they're giving back percentages? Are you seeing there's a change in not only the bottom line, but also trying to push what else you're doing instead of just trying to sell a product? Yeah, I think, um, you know, not to generalize, but all the talk about millennials just having social cause be a more uh, important part of their DNA. So every brand is having that conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the brands that we work with are, um, 
you know, either more premium, like you, know, you mentioned you just bought your house and you're in Lowe's a lot. Um, some of the younger millennials are renters or, you know, not to be cliche, they're living in their, in their parents' basement. Um, so cheap, it's cheap, cheap, cheap rent as in free. <laughs> you know, so maybe they're not uh, a Delta shopper today, right. but I know every brand we work with is, has, a, has a, an awareness of that. I don't see dramatic shifts, but I think the awareness is heightened with every brand. Here's a and just random question, but um, do you think there's going to be a time, and, and you might already be thinking about this, we, we had a guy in here that talked about um, AI, and he showed us uh, his phone over a map, and it just created, it was just really, really cool. He was a professor at UNCC, and it just blew my mind to be able to see that. Um, there's been a couple of movies where it's like futuristic, where you walk by and the billboard's like talking to you. Hey, Brian, check out this Rolex. You should buy this. I'm like, I'm not in the market for a Rolex, but that looks good on me. Right or there. are you? Or oh, am I? Yeah. Do you see that? I mean, is that something that you're already positioned to, to jump on where it's facial recognition, where if I walk in, it's like, Hey, this is the faucet you need, Brian. I'm right here. I'll look great. I mean, you know, I mean, I know that's kind of crazy to say, but it probably isn't in your world. Well, no, we, we've had conversations in our office, like, can we let people take a virtual shower inside of a store? <laughs> you know, and, Mind blown. <laughs> and Lowe's and Home Depot don't, don't want water in the aisle because there's obviously a risk of people being injured. But, you know, is there a way that you could put on goggles and, like, be immersed in a shower experience? So we're having those conversations. What we haven't, the heck? We haven't, I mean, that's what I'm talking about. That yeah. is amazing. That's we cool. haven't brought any of those ideas <laughs> to fruition, but um, I think a couple of years ago, um, um, AR and um, we're going to have to edit here. <laughs> <laughs> um, augmented reality versus virtual reality. Like virtual reality was a big buzz maybe mm -hmm. four years ago. And I don't think there's as many applications for virtual reality as there are for augmented reality. Mm -hmm. So as a Lowe's shopper, I can actually, um, you know, go and visualize product in my own home using AI. Um, but the idea that um, virtual reality was going to be uh, as important, I think, has faded. Interesting. That, I mean, that, that plus those just, glasses, good grief. What about like those goggles? what about now? So this was this was something creepy, but um, you know Facebook knows everything. I went to my my in laws a couple of days ago, met their neighbor Toki, and I walk back in their house and I get on my phone and Facebook says, "Check out your person that you should become friends with is Toki." I'm like, "What the? Are you kidding me, Facebook? Like we didn't we didn't even shake hands? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I don't even like what like, he just knew I was like close to him. So same thing. I mean, I feel like I could literally be in my house and yell." you know, TV and then go on Facebook and, and Samsung's ripping me up with a new TV. Is that something that you guys are also focusing on where maybe, you know, and I'm sure there's ways to do this where you walk by with your phone and then, hey, that aisle now knows that I was in this this aisle. I was looking at this specific faucet. Now we can try to market our product to him through the internet. And I don't know where I'm kind of going with this process, but I feel like it's, it's there. The technology's there to do it. Yeah, I mean, the difficult part is tying it to a particular skew on a shelf because, you know, I'm standing in the faucet aisle. There are literally hundreds of choices. Mm -hmm, right. So, you know, I don't think the technology is there unless I actually pick up and interact with a product to know that that's the product I'm interested in. But there is amazing advancements going on in um, digital and um, the Internet and the, the idea that. I can now know if my digital marketing spend is actually driving traffic into a store because, you know, the cell phones are pinging mm -hmm. um, towers and they're pinging Wi-Fi. 
And it used to be that you just, you know, you, you, you could measure digital based on just like click throughs. Mm -hmm. But now our clients can spend money in digital and actually validate that people are walking into a store. And that's a pretty amazing improvement in marketing ROI and analysis. Is that something mm -hmm. that, that is, is a, um, you know, statistic that you guys use as well to, to not only change the marketing approach, um, look at something maybe a couple months in and say, hey, we've only gotten this much traffic, we need to do something different. Is that something that they're bringing to the table as well, that you guys have that information so you can alter what you're doing? Yeah, yeah. We have great partnerships with um, different service providers who do a lot of measurement on in-store. And, and that's the beauty of digital mm -hmm. is you can um, optimize and, you know, shift on a dime, drop in new creative. You know, if you if you spend $300,000 producing a TV spot and, you know, commit to an eight-week run, that's a lot of money invested and you really can't shift on a dime. But if you're doing digital marketing and the messaging isn't working, just load up new creative and literally moments later, that new creative can be in front of the customer. I love that. Well, tell us, um, you know, in closing, tell us what's next for Theory House. You know, what is your vision of, of where you guys are going to go from now? And uh, I love that you say, I haven't worked in 10 to 15 years. That's fantastic. Hopefully it stays that way. But tell me, what's the vision? Well, I mean, we don't have grand aspirations to be, you know, hundreds of people. We like the idea that the, the folks we hire and the clients we work with, it's kind of an intimate expert engagement. Uh, we're investing a lot of time in our culture and in our people. Uh, we've implemented some programs that really try to uh, build what we call a self-managing agency. So everyone has responsibility for our success and everyone has an opportunity to grow and advance and um, just become the, the best version that they can. But you know, when we're working with um, the stable of clients that we have, you know, for us, further up is like, you know, can we get more international clients? Um, can we get a bigger piece of Pepsi's business instead of just project-based? So those, those A-level clients for us mm -hmm. are typically specific hires for a specific initiative that come and go in three or four months. So our objective would be, you know, how can we get a year-round program work with some of those clients? And how can we get somebody in Charlotte who wants to work with this guy who is a big baller brand? Let's go. That's right. <laughs> Lee. Exactly. Charlotte's on. awesome. Where are you guys at? Um, well, Jim, thank you so much for joining us on the Brand Butters Podcast. It's been a pleasure. Tell us uh, before we go how they can get in touch with you, how they can follow you. Um, and then if there's anybody that's listening to this podcast that's interested in, in uh, getting in contact with Jim or you have an idea, um, definitely let us know. But tell us a little bit of how they can get in touch with you, my man. Yeah, best way is just to go to theoryhouse.com, and that's our social handle across all the channels as well. Excellent. Well, Jim, we appreciate you joining us, and we hope you have a, a great afternoon. And thank you as well, DC, for joining us on the Brand Butters Podcast. Oh, you betcha. See you guys next time. You've been listening to the Brand Builders Podcast, brought to you by the Dunstan Group with your host, Scott Dunstan and Brian Young. For branded merchandise and apparel that makes first impressions and ones that last, check out the Dunstan Group at dunstangroup.com. <laughs>